Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 72 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Today, we are going to talk about the key to everything. Is there actually a key to everything in leadership? My guest, Matt Keller, thinks there is. And I kind of agree with him. And what would that be? I mean, could there be a key to everything? I think there could be. And in fact, I think you might have it because you're listening. Okay. That's enough of a tease. But anyway, I'm so glad you joined us for today. And I just want to say thank you so much, man. We just crossed a milestone. Do you know we are well on our way to a million downloads of this podcast, which is unbelievable. We're not like even legit 18 months old. And we just passed the three quarter million mark. And every week it seems to be growing. And you know why that's happening? Because you're letting other leaders know about this. And I just want to say thank you so, so much for that. Thank you for sharing this on social media. Thank you for emailing this to your friends. Thanks for leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes. Thank you so much for all the encouragement and and the positive feedback you've given. So many of you recently have left uh, new reviews on iTunes. Thank you for that iTunes uses that to get this in front of other leaders, and then hopefully they benefit from it. So you're kind of paying it forward, sharing the love that way. And uh, I read every one of them. I'm so, so grateful for all of you. And thank you for the constant feedback and the encouragement. And I really hope it's not that long until we reach a million leaders. Wouldn't that be incredible? Just crazy. Hey, a couple things I want to let you know about before we go any further. First is if you have not yet subscribe to the podcast. I'd love for you to do that because it's free and that way it shows up automatically on your devices every Tuesday or when we release bonus podcasts. And I've been releasing some bonus podcasts recently and there'll be more to come. But here's some people who are coming up on the podcast. Next week, we've got Jarrett Stevens. And Jarrett and I have this fascinating conversation about how to say no. It's, it's going to be great. A uh, guy you may never have met named Brian Wangler. Um, like you and me, he's a pastor. Pastor is a local church. And I'm calling the episode Raising the Dead. Why? Because so many people say, you know, hey, existing churches, there's just no hope. You know, you can't transition a stuck or plateaued church. Brian would disagree, and he has now led four churches to significant renewal and growth. Uh, One of them was actually five people when he got there in a village of 400, that church grew to 100 under his leadership. He's led other churches to over 1,000 in attendance. And I mean, churches that people thought were stuck or dead or never coming back. And Brian and I have this fascinating conversation about how that happened. And um, man, I'll tell you, I am so excited about that episode. So uh, another one that's coming up. John Burke has written a book that I have not been able to put down. It's fascinating. It's called Imagine Heaven. And what it does is it looks at hundreds, thousands probably, of near-death experiences and compares and contrasts near-death experiences to the biblical account of heaven. He's going to talk to us about that. I am so stoked for this. I have loved his book. And 
Uh, you ever wonder, what is heaven really like? I mean, that, that's not so ethereal. And so he sits down and looks at all these near-death experiences and talks about it. I, I'm, I'm just so excited. Perry Noble is coming back to the podcast. Perry's got a brand new book out in March. I'm so pumped for that. Andy Stanley is back. I'm going to sit down with Andy this spring and have another conversation. We'll be bringing that to you. Ditto with Ravi Zacharias. Ravi's freed up some time to come back and talk to you directly. It's going to be amazing. So I'll be collecting questions for that. We've got other people like Whit George is going to be on. Um, I'm, I'm super excited that I'm even going to sit down with some of our staff and have a conversation uh, this year. So lots to cover. Uh, it's going to be an incredible year. And thank you to everybody who subscribed and everybody who shared the love on that. So that's just a little preview of some of the things that are ahead. Finally, before we jump into the interview, if you have not yet registered for a brand new conference called Rethink Leadership, I would love for you to stop this right now and go to rethinkleadership.com. I'm involved in this. I am so excited because we're bringing to you an experience that usually you would get in front of thousands of people. We're going to do for just a few hundred. Andy Stanley, John Acuff, Reggie Joyner, Jeff Henderson, Brad Lominick, Pete Wilson, Jim Miato, and myself. We're all going to be there and we are going to work with you, not quite one-on-one, but like in the hundreds, not in the thousands. It's a limited experience uh, leadership event that is unlike anything I think you've ever been to. It'll be TED-style talks with world-class leaders, and I would love for you to go there. The early bird rates are on. It's April 27th through 29th, and it's in Atlanta, and we would love for you to be our guest. So what you can do is go and register right now. Go to rethinkleadership.com and you can register before it's too late. We'd love to have you. Well, now let's get to my conversation with Matt Keller. Here we go. Well, really excited to have Matt Keller on the podcast today. Matt, welcome. So glad you're here. Thank you so much, Kerry. It's just an honor to be here. Yeah, well, this is going to be fun. We just kind of met, and uh, I'd read your book and thought, oh, you'd make a great guest, and and I've heard about Next Level Church over the years, so we're new friends, right? There you go. Absolutely. A lot in common, actually. Yes. So you've had quite a journey at Next Level Church, so tell us a little bit about that. And there's two Next Level Churches, right? There are. Um, but but there's one up in New England, and, and listeners yes. of the podcast know Josh Gagnon there. Uh, you were the other, but maybe the original Next Level Church, so well, let's talk uh, about that. Maybe. There's actually a number of them. I think I've found eight or ten of them now across the country uh, in Canada as well. But uh, yeah, so we were, we were we are Next Level Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Josh Gagnon mm. is a friend of mine. He is a mutual yeah. friend that you and I both share yeah. in common. Uh, and they're in New England doing just a phenomenal work. We I actually knew Josh way back when. and so um, You knew Josh before he was Josh, really? I did, actually. know Josh <laughs> before he was Josh. And I'm so proud of that guy and just yeah. love how God's using them. So, so our story, Next Level Church, my wife and I were originally born and raised in Indiana in the Midwest. And uh, when I was 26 and she was 24, we tell church planners all the time now, we were too young to know how young we were. Uh, <laughs> we, we loaded up our rider truck with $9,200 and no clue what we were doing. And two college guys who got the vision of doing church in a spring break town. And we moved 1,300 miles away from the only home we had ever known in Indiana with nothing but a big vision and no clue. And God has been gracious over 13 and a half, almost 14 years now. That's crazy. So you started a church, didn't know what you were doing. Why'd you pick Florida other than the weather? You're from Indiana. 
Yeah, right. I'm from Toronto. Like, so. You're from Canada, so yeah. I'm not sure you need to ask why I started in the Sunshine State. But it was I'll, a call. It was a call. Honestly, well, what's crazy? Let me back up even further. When we were teenagers, I was 17. My wife, girlfriend, then was 15. My parents took us on a spring break vacation to Fort Myers, Florida. And when the plane landed, I literally looked at Sarah, my girlfriend, and said, "Let's start a church here someday." And, no way. You know, yeah. So, so honestly, we felt like God planted the seed in our heart. And nine years later. We relocated January of 2002, relocated, and uh, started with four of us. We had four of us in a coffee shop. First two weeks, nobody showed up. And then we launched in a movie theater on Mother's Day, May the 12th, 2002. We had 35 people. And, uh, and then we went down from there to 19. And so it was like, oh, only half come back? That had been nice to know. But yeah. you know what? We, we just we didn't know what we didn't know. And we just started loving on the people we had. And God was faithful. So we spent four years in the movie theater, grew the church to just under 300 people in average mm-hmm. attendance. And I know numbers only tell a story. They don't tell the whole story. But just for reference sake. No, and numbers are people. Years. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So after four years, we moved to a, to a, a high school, a brand new $40 million state-of-the-art high school that the state of Florida built us. Wow. And all we had to do was let them have school in there Monday to Friday, pay them a little money and set up some equipment. I said, this is a great idea. <laughs> so we spent the next five years uh, in the high school, grew to about a thousand people. And then four and a half years ago, Easter 2011, purchased an old church, gutted it, renovated it, added some square footage to it. And uh, we now have two campuses. Uh, average attendance is about over, a little over 3,000 on a week in attendance, so to speak. And, and it's just been an incredible journey. We love pouring into leaders. That's why I love you. I love this podcast. Uh, love what you're doing to help leaders both inside and outside of the local church. I love it. Well, thanks. That's a great story, too. And it sounds like you've constantly had to reinvent yourself over the years, too, right? Because pastoring a church of 19 is different than pastoring two locations and 3,000 people on the whole deal. It really is. And, you know, honestly, Carrie, when we moved, we, we were so clueless in what we were doing. We just said, you know, we are going to vow to take good notes. I remember sitting on the edge of our, our little 800-square-foot apartment, our bed, mm. And just so lonely, so confused, so broke, so clueless, so alone and crying. And and I looked at my wife all the way back then. And I said, Sarah, if God lets us live through this. And of course, at the Mm -hmm. time that was in question, I said, we're going to spend our life, the rest of our life, making sure no leader has to feel the way we feel right now. And that's why I write books. That's why I do what I do. That's why we coach pastors. That's why we coach business leaders, because we just want to make sure no leader has to go through what we went through. And so our heart and passion from the beginning has been, let's take good notes. Let's, let's learn the lessons we can from ourselves, from those we're, we're interacting with, so that we can help another leader be more efficient and more effective at what God has called them to do. You know, it's. I know there's a lot of church planners who listen to this podcast, and I'm sure there are some who are exactly at that point right now. Tell us just in a snapshot, because I want, I want to talk about teachability today, but tell us in a snapshot, what was one of the darkest moments that you thought, whoa, there's no way out of this? Well, I think about uh, we're four years in, grown mm-hmm. the church to about 300 people, which was great, you know, viable, definitely momentum. And so we did, made the decision to leave the movie theater. And in our town, we were known as the church in the movie theater. Like it was an identity for us. Yep. Everybody knew Next Level Church, church in the movie theater. Like Familiar it was such with that. an identity. And you never have to direct anyone to your church no. because no. you're just like, oh, in our case, we're at the Galaxy Cinemas. There's not a single living, breathing person in central Ontario who doesn't mm-hmm. know where those things theaters are. 
right? And Got we that. were, and we didn't even know we were the we're you know at the Bell Tower Twenty, and it's like, oh, Bell Tower, like that's the center of Southwest Florida. We didn't even know God <laughs> just put us there. So when we made the decision to leave the Bell Tower theaters and move two point two miles, which is nothing in our town, nope. uh, to South Fort Myers High School. I remember we thought, man, this is it. We're going to double. We're going to skyrocket. And we moved in. And honestly, about 60 days in, mm-hmm. the thing bottomed out. And we had about 60 different fate people, you know, a dozen or so, 15 families who just said, yeah, it's not the same. It's, uh, you know, what? I mean, you, yeah, you've heard it. The church girl stuff, right? <laughs> and I remember, so we were about 300 in the theater. I remember one Sunday we had like 190. And that's kids, everybody. Kids, dogs. Wow. Yeah, like we custodian trash Mm -hmm. bags. You count Mm -hmm. them like they're count. And so I remember literally laying in bed with my wife uh, that night, and I remember Sarah saying to me, "I wonder if the movie theater would take us back." Like, man, we thought we had killed our church. And so now, again, ten years, whatever later, that's a story we tell church planners and pastors all the time. That it was just that it's that it's that dip, you know, of you've got to go through those seasons where everyone's not going to take the journey with you. It's not Mm -hmm. going to be easy. It is going to feel dark and lonely and confusing, but that is how you make the jump to get to your next level. And what (laughs) got you here cannot, will not, and should not get you there where you're going. And that's what we love helping churches and and businesses do. Yeah, I agree. You know, sometimes when you make change as a leader, you're the only one applauding for the first little bit. And that's so true. And of course, if you went back to the movie theater, because, you know, when you're free, the slaves always want to go back to Egypt. So you want to go back to Egypt. You'd probably be a church of four or five hundred meeting in movie theater. Yep, right? absolutely. And would have missed the story. That's All it. right, so so teachability had to be a really big part of your journey, and hence the book you released called The Key to Everything. And if I'm not mistaken, that is what? That is teachability, right? Exactly. Well, yeah, when you write a book called The Key to Everything, the first thing everybody wants to know in interviews or whatever is, all right, Hotshot, what is it? Yeah. And, uh, and, and so the answer is, as you just said, it's teachability. And for me, teachability has always been a life theme for me. Mm-hmm. So I've always, uh, I've just always been a learner. Uh, as a, as a, you know, a strengths finder, it's one of my strengths as I'm a learner. But I think, I think when, it, when you look at it, when you look at success, more than hard work, more than work ethic, more than connections, who you know, education, family lineage, any of those, before all of those things, the thing that matters most, the thing that matters first is teachability. Mm-hmm. Give me someone who's teachable, we can change the world. Give me someone who already knows it all, and we're dead in the water. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And that's not an age thing, is it? It really Absolutely isn't. Absolutely not. No, because I've met 85-year-old men, my wife's grandfather being a great illustration of that. I talk about him in the book, who's the most teachable guy I know. And I've met 35-year-old people who are stuck in their ways. And so teachability doesn't have anything to do with age. Teachability is a mindset. And what I argue in the book is teachability is a lifestyle. Hmm. So why, I I think I've seen a lot of leaders who struggle with teachability, right? And is there an inherent tension between like being a leader or being an expert and being teachable, Matt? Yeah, I think that there is, Carrie. Okay. I think uh, I think that that's one of the constant tensions, as Andy Stanley, you know, says. It's not sure. a problem to be solved; it's a tension to be managed. I think one of the constant tensions of leadership is the more successful you become, the more your teachability is threatened. But yeah. the more teachable you are, the more successful you'll become. And I actually talk about that in in uh, chapter seven on success in the book. I talk about. Be careful, because the more successful you become, 
the more your teachability, you're going to turn around and go, well, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm awesome. Like, and that's the tension I think a lot of leaders face. And that's why I wrote the book to really help leaders begin to understand what keeps us from a lifestyle of teachability, what is teachability and how we develop a lifestyle of teachability. Okay. So let's start there. What, what sure. keeps us from being teachable? What are the sure. factors that make a leader or a person, frankly, not teachable? Sure. Well, uh, first, let me define what teachability is. Sure. In the book, I talk about it's two things, desire to learn multiplied by willingness to change. So it really is okay. desire and willingness. Show me someone who has a desire to learn, but no willingness to change. They're going to struggle. Show mm-hmm. me someone who has no, no desire, but high willingness. They're going to struggle. So it takes both. So teachability is desire to learn multiplied by willingness to change. And so, of course, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. This is okay. this is really good. This is really good. So I'm just trying to get the distinction in my head because, yeah, you know, if you think about it, they have, uh, you know, conference junkies. I've run into a lot of conference junkies. They just go to everything or they're on every webinar and they've got brand new books and they blow their whole budget. But nothing ever gets applied because they don't want to change. On the other hand, there are people who love change. I'm just trying to figure out exactly what you're saying. There are people who love change, but there's not much of a desire to learn. And as a result, sometimes you make really stupid decisions. Is that the tension? Yeah, sure. Let me illustrate it this way. If it were a math equation, you and I are public speakers, and I'm sure a lot of the people who listen, pastors and others, are public speakers. We do this for a living. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, right. I try. Okay, so if I'm a public speaker, which I am, and my desire to learn is a six, but my willingness to change and get better is only a two, then Uh on a 100 scale, my teachability factor is 12, six Uh times two. But if my desire to learn goes up to a nine, and my willingness to change goes up to a nine, now all of a sudden that 12 has become an 81. And so show me someone in any area of their life who whatever their number is. So if you want to be a better husband, Mm -hmm. what's your desire? One to 10. What's your willingness? One to 10. Multiply those numbers together. And that's how you determine how teachable you are in any area of your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, 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 you know, from that perspective, Matt, I know a lot of people, it's like you get the insight, somebody, you know, you even hire a consultant, a consultant comes in and says, well, you know, here are my three recommendations, you know, change this, change that. And then almost immediately from a lot of leaders, you get pushback. Oh, we've already decided we're not going to do that, right? We That is not the kind of church we are, or that that's not the kind of leader I am. Now, sometimes you need to say that, you know, no is important, sure. but yeah, that's a lack of a willingness to change. Absolutely. So let me gotcha. answer your original question, which is what keeps us then from teachability in our life and in our leadership journey? In the book, I outline uh, five things. I talk about the five roadblocks mm-hmm. to teachability, and oftentimes, especially for successful leaders, um, the roadblocks to teachability can can be invisible to us. They can be hard to identify and see. And so in the book, I talk about pride as a roadblock, fear, uh, insecurity, pain, and pace. Okay. Pace, an unhealthy or unsustainable pace. So it, we can break those down as far. Yeah, as let's do that. Let's 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 walk to. through each of them because I'm a guy like even in my teaching, I love to focus on the problem because I think a lot of the time, if you don't define the problem well, and you don't really understand, that goes to self-awareness, right? Like as a leader, I'm like, I'm not proud. Well, is that a proud statement? I don't really know. You know, <laughs> right. we should talk about that. So exactly. let's let's start with them. So start with, you want to start with pride? Yeah, Let's look absolutely. at that. What, so, you know, what do you mean by first, pride? The first roadblock of, to teachability in our life is pride is 
honestly, you know, one of the biggest things about pride is a prideful approach, a prideful attitude. And, and throughout the first section of the book, I use the Old Testament Saul uh, as, a, as a biblical anecdote and illustration of, you know, a guy who embodied all five of these roadblocks and couldn't get past them. And so, you know, the thing about pride is pride always leads to presumption. Mm-hmm. And presumption is a killer of teachability in our life. And if it's true, which it is, that teachability is how we reach our full potential as a leader and as a, as a follower of Jesus, you and I would say, then, then we have to be aware of those, those prideful moments where we go, you know what, the rules don't apply to me. Mm-hmm. You know what? I get that that's for everybody else, but that's that's not me. Like I'm like it's it's the guy who walks into the restaurant demanding a table, and the poor little teenage hostess girl, you know, standing there going, "Sir, there's no tables. You have to wait in line." And he's going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," but you don't understand who I am. Like I'm like it is that kind of presumption that will cause us as leaders to do an end run around God's prescription, around the the prefer- preferred blessed path, if you will, and yep. say, you know what? I can go around the rules, and that's what Saul did in the Old Testament. He said, you know what? I've waited a week for the prophet Samuel to show up. Yeah. Forget it. I'm the king. I'm just going to go straight to God. Like, I, like mm. the rules, I'm good. And it will cause us to, instead of going after God's best and waiting on God's best, pride and presumption will always cause us to settle for good instead of waiting on God's best. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that. And I, do you think, Matt, like I've noticed the longer you lead— the more you're tempted in that area because you think, man, I've worked so hard and I've worked so long at this. And, you know, it all, it's almost an entitlement mindset that I don't have to play by those rules anymore. I paid my dues. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, so that's where the longer we go in the leadership journey, and certainly for those of us who are, who are, you know, reaching some modicum of success, that's where we've got to keep our eyes open and say, man, I got to be aware of this, this roadblock of pride. Mm. What are, what are some antidotes to pride? Marry well. My wife doesn't let me get away with it, which is great. Exactly. Neither does my staff. My team doesn't. So that's good. Well, I, I mean, I, the, there you go. There's the first two, which is, yeah, honestly, you know, it's your wife. Often the Holy Spirit, you know, speaks loudly in my life. And it, it he sounds a lot like my wife. Boy, <laughs> as a matter of fact, uh, so, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that before. It's like, I am just not impressed with you, you know? No, exactly. So, yeah, that's you good. You see me my worst. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, some of that is surrounding ourselves uh, with people who, who can be honest. It's inviting it. You right. Know, we have to be willing to invite it. Here's how I've often said this about roadblocks uh, and blind spots in our life is, you know, I teach leaders, I'll say, you know, the best people to help us with our blind spots in our life are not people in the car next to us. It's not people standing on the side of the road. Hmm. It's not people a mile ahead of us or even a mile behind us. The best people to see our blind spots are the people sitting in the car with us. Hmm. And as you said, our team. The problem is most leaders are not secure enough to be able to say to their team, you got to help me. That if any of these pride, fear, insecurity, hey, if you see this rising up in me, you got to help like you like you got to love me and love what we're doing enough to be able to graciously and lovingly grab me and go, hey, you know, that tweet you sent out last week, man, I I feel like it it might be heard as prideful. Like, man, I Mm. feel like there might be you might be showing a little more insecurity there than you think you are. Okay, that's a team that loves you. And that's a team that loves your mission. 
Yeah, that loves you too much to get a, to let you get away with that. That's right. right. That's right. That's interesting. You know, Matt, I'm sort of looking ahead at the next 10 years. And uh, just literally um, this week while we're recording this, put together a personal advisory board, something I've never had before, but just three people who know me well, who are very successful leaders in their own right, and who have standing permission to call me on the carpet and go, hey, Newhoff you're an idiot, you know, in, in love, of course. Right, right. But, you know, you need that in your life because, and, and I said to each of them, I don't trust myself enough to lead, to lead well. And, and I feel that creep. I feel that creep. You know, you want the next status at the, the airline you fly with regularly, or you want, you know, you feel you're entitled to this and it's like, no, you're not. So right, right. that's well, good. Okay. So pride. And it's not just walking around with like this stereotypical big ego. It no, just seeps in very it does. It does. insidiously. Yeah, it does. And what it does is it attacks our teachability. So the second uh, roadblock mm. is fear. And, yeah. you know, fear really can raise its ugly head in a lot of ways, but a lot of times fear can tell us, you know, a, a fear of losing control. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as we grow, as our organizations grow, for us as leaders, it is, man, in order for us to get there, I'm going to have to give up control. I'm going to have to turn my back on some things and let really empower other people, you know, in the organization. So so there are a lot of fears, uh, you know, that can really grip a leader's heart um, that can be a roadblock. L- let me ask you about that, because you obviously have had to deal with that at Next Level Church. Like sure. when you have 19 people, you can be in charge of everything, because I remember <laughs> having 19 people yeah, right? and basically as a leader, you're in charge of everything. You've got 3,000 people now. We have just over 1,000 people now attending our church. I'm not in control of very much anymore. And that's a very difficult journey to make. In fact, you know, the way I look at my last five years, it's been as much about not leading as it is about leading, learning when to stand back rather than to move forward. How have you navigated that personally, Matt? And what have been the fears for you in surrendering control so your church can grow. Yeah, sure. Well, in the book, I mentioned a few of them. And honestly, they're all things that I've dealt with in my life um, in the past. As our church has grown and as we you know, go from one growth phase to the next, you know, things like fear of rejection, Hmm. Um, fear of criticism, you know, that, oh, that yeah. like, honestly, for so the longest time while your church is smaller, like criticism, I mean, it comes every once in a while in the form of a bad email, but no news coverage is going to be like, dude, your church sucks. Like, yeah. and all of a sudden, like, I'm, I, I think I even talk about this in the book, like, like there's this crazy moment in time when we moved into our first permanent location, we went from 950 people to 2000 people in about nine months. Wow. And it was like uh, that fear thing in me of, oh my gosh, like fear of not wanting to make a mistake, fear of being criticized, like criticism hit me from a whole different level mm. when our church suddenly became the thing in our city. And it was like, well, what do I do now? So I think a lot of those fears can really creep into leaders because here's the thing. What I've discovered is every time your organization grows from one growth phase to the next, and we talk about, a lot about this in our, our coaching that we do with pastors, it, we have to face uh, four different things. We have to, to, we have to, there's a different skill set, temptations, priorities, and disciplines that are necessary for us as leaders to lead effectively at the next level. And we've got to be able to dig into those, those skill sets, those disciplines, different priorities up here, 
things change in, 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 in you know, in temptations, things change as our organizations get bigger. Sure. So let, let's talk about criticism, because I think that's a universal thing we all struggle with. I mean, if you have 19 people, if you have 19,000 people, right? nobody loves getting that email. Nobody loves hearing. Some, nobody loves a story that's critical about you in the press or media or even online. Some blogger, you know, for free yeah, right. from his basement just decides to take you on. Uh, how what's what's um, helped you get through those hurdles, the fear of criticism? What's been good for you personally? That's a good question. I think the first thing I would say is build in layers uh, systematically mm-hmm. as your organization grows so that because not all criticism even needs to be read by you. And so yeah, I have true. a great filter with uh, my staff. My assistant, Sherry, is phenomenal. Uh, and other pastors who work, you know, at, at a level just beneath me in the organization. If when a critical email or whatever comes in, um, they are always the first ones. And obviously anything anonymous gets kicked out immediately. Mm-hmm. We don't if you're not going to sign it, we're not going to read it. But then second, they're always the filter. And so, you know, does, is this life-giving? Does this, like, is there a kernel of truth in the criticism? And so my team always filters that for me. Here's why, because the last thing we need is Matt going to the, to the stage this, or to the platform this weekend with some, some random guy in a basement in his head. Yeah. Well, that's not, my responsibility is to serve the 3,000 people who are in my church this weekend. My responsibility is not to combat basement guy in nowhere, Idaho, who wants to take on Matt Keller at Next Level Church in Fort Myers. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. And so, so my team goes, you know what? No, 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 there's nothing to this. And then if there's something that needs to be addressed, they can deal with 80% of that. And, and then they become the ones who say, I think this actually warrants Matt's eyes and attention. Right. And then we sit down and we talk about it. We, d- we deflect anything that we go, you know what? That's not us. Okay. But these two things they said in there, that's absolutely true. Let's, mm. let's figure it out. Let's grow. Let's get better. And so I think that's a great way. So now, so now because see, criticism is such a weird thing because when we try and handle criticism alone, it weakens us. Mm. But when you put criticism inside of a team context like that, suddenly there's a sober-mindedness to it that is healthy that allows us to go, okay, that's ridiculous. That's dumb. Get rid of that. Don't pay attention to that. Matt, don't let that get in your soul. Yeah. But these two things together, we decide we can learn and grow from those. So okay, put that's criticism good. into a team context. It'll help you be sober-minded about it, leader, and not over-emote on it. Yeah, you know, that, 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 I've never heard anyone say that. That's, that's actually smart because, you know, I'll still read stuff that, that comes to me. And often you're a little bit even afraid to share it with someone because there's like a shame stigma attached to it. And I often will I'll show it to my wife or I'll show it to my sure. assistant or, you know, the leaders around me. And you learn a lot in the process, but they often, they, they, because I don't find I'm a very good judge of like, okay, what part should stick and what part should be gone. That's a good insight. Okay. And so I just let my team do all the filtering for me. You guys know me and you know my heart. Like, you know, I want to get better. Like I'm teachable. I wrote the book on teachability for crying out loud. You guys know I want to be teachable in this, but if there's nothing in here that's going to help me or help us, then don't bother me. You guys just take it. But if it does help us, then they can be the So let them be the, the first line of offense on that. Anything else on fear? Because that's a big one. It is. Uh, you know, I mean, I just think, I, I think leaders have more fears living inside of their heart, big and small, 
then they want to give merit to one of the things that I do, and this is a Wayne Cordero thing from his book, Leading on Empty. He talks about taking a, a quarterly reflection day. And so for me, I there are five questions I always ask, and I just do longhand. So I sit down at a coffee shop for 90 minutes or 120 minutes, and one of the questions I ask in my leadership to reflect is I say, what am I afraid of right now? Wow. And Carrie, I will sit down with a legal pad and just start writing. And the last time I did it, and, and li- listeners are not even going to believe this. The last time I did it, I had 22 fears. Wow. But, wow. And, and here's the thing we need to understand about fear. Fear motivates our decision-making on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. And most leaders have no idea the fears that they are driving their decision-making on a daily basis. And when you sit down longhand and just go, you know what? I'm afraid of losing control at our second campus. You know what? I'm afraid that our worship is, is getting a little off track. You know what? I'm afraid that my house isn't going to sell in 90 days when my house is on the market. I'm like, you got to know what I'm afraid I'm going to screw up my kids. Like, because fears, they always do it. I love this stuff. Huh. I'm, I'm so passionate because leaders got to know what those fear drivers are in their life. And you, once you see it in black and white, once you bring it out of darkness into light, it loses its power over it you. It does. You know, I've, I've again, never heard that. That's a really good idea is to actually just write down what you're afraid of in the moment. And if it's five pages, Hey, you know, darkness loses its power when you bring it to the light, as you say. Brilliant. Okay, so we've got pride, we've got fear. What's next? What else keeps us from being teachable? Sure. Third roadblock is insecurity. Mm, Insecurity. It's huge. And uh, this is a big one. Again, this is why I wrote a leadership book, because I'm so passionate about this. But, you know, for me, there are a lot of different kinds of of insecurity. And Old Testament Saul gives us a great picture of these roadblocks. You know, things like, um, I I feel inferior. Hmm. Things like, I, I feel like I, I don't belong here. I feel like I'm faking it. Mm-hmm. And these were things that I dealt with in my leadership. Matter of fact, the introduction to that chapter, the opening story, I talk about how uh, I'm a member of the ARC, the Association of Related yeah. Churches, which is planting churches Great. phenomenally. And um, I, I kind of got into the ARC right as when it was small and the door was closing. And so my first ARC meeting, there were about 50 of us. And these guys, the, the main leaders of the ARC, the lead team of the ARC, who are some of the most predominant names in Christianity today, are... Um, became good friends of mine. And cool. for years, they would say, hey, Matt, here's my cell phone. Call me. Hey, call me anytime. Hey, Matt, let's hang out. Hey, Matt, I want to know how it's going. Hey, Matt, I want to be in your world. And I would take their phone number, and I would never do anything with it. And the reason why is because I thought I wasn't good enough. Hmm. And I thought, you know what? These guys are successful. They're busy. I've they don't that. have time for me. They don't need me. They were just putting it on, being nice. And every time I'd get around them, they'd go, dude, why haven't you called? Man, why are you at, bro? Let's hang out. And after eight years, my friend Randy Bazette, who pastors Bayside Community Church in Sarasota, about 90 minutes north of me, we were having breakfast at Cracker Barrel in our, you know, three times a year meeting. And I was telling him, man, I just feel insecure, whatever. And he looked at me and said, Matt, how long, how long are you going to miss this amazing God opportunity to learn from these leaders that you desperately need to learn and grow from? But you're letting your own insecurity keep you from learning from guys who have openly given you access to them. It is not them, Matt. It's you. If, If you could see what we see, because when they look at Matt Keller, they see a secure, confident, growing young pastor and leader who is capable of changing the world. What you see is an insecure, not good enough, not capable enough guy, and you're seeing it wrong. And he just said, Matt, Hmm. how long? How long are you going to let that insecurity keep you from the God opportunity before you. 
That is a great word. And I know so yeah. many leaders who can just identify with that. Um, you know, I had a similar experience and I won't name names, but I had I had somebody who, you know, said, hey, you want to you want to talk? And he actually offered to review my messages. Oh. And this is one of the top communicators on the planet. And I was too insecure to send them to him. And you look at that and I've all, you know, I said to a couple of people, you know, over the last number of years, I just feel like the little kid at the big kid's table. And somebody finally looked at me like your friend Randy did. I think it was Randy who said, he just said, you know, you actually belong around this table. And I, I, everything inside me is like, no, I don't. And again, it's not about whether you belong at the table or not, but you miss opportunities because of it. That's it. And we mentioned uh, our mutual friend, Josh Gagnon. If you're really struggling with insecurity and you want to hear just a super raw, unedited conversation about a successful, insecure leader, uh, Josh and I actually sat down together in person. And that's episode 61 of this podcast. You can just scroll back a little bit. And Josh and I talked for almost an hour just about what it's like to lead when you're not 100% secure. Well, and let me put my stamp on that episode because, uh, Carrie, I I listened to that recently. Mm. And um, one of the best conversations that needs to be had in the body of Christ and truthfully in or outside of the church in the leadership community today. Uh, so leaders stop this podcast you're listening mm. to go back to that one because it was that powerful. You guys were, it was brilliant, man. Such a great job. Well, but you know that, that I appreciate that, but that's, those are the kind that's why I want to do this podcast. Those are the kind of conversations we always have offline that nobody ever hears. Right. And, you know, Josh and I just decided to stick a microphone in the room one day and, so and have good. the conversation. And so we're all alike, you know, the insecurity right. never fully goes away. Well, I think it does. It goes away in heaven. Um, but in the meantime, it's blocking an awful lot of stuff and you can't overcome this, right? This is so insecurity keeps you from teachability, pride and fear. Uh, let's talk about what's, what's another one. Number four is pain, uh, the roadblock of pain. And, you know, again, we talked about fears that leaders don't identify, but pain is the same way. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book is pain, when painful things happen to us in our past, it's like, it's like they're laying bricks in front of us. And I give the illustration in the book about, you know, if we don't knock down the bricks while the cement is wet, um, eventually those bricks start to get high. And when it's only a foot or two high, as a leader, when something happens, we can step over that. But eventually, if we don't do the hard work of knocking down the pain bricks in our life, eventually that wall gets so high that now we can no longer step over it. And in fact, once it gets to a certain level, we start to paint a new reality on the inside of it. And we Mm. become completely disconnected from reality. And and that's a scary place to be. And here's what I uh, teach so often is whenever God wants to take us up a level in our influence or impact in our life, we always have to go down another level and dig into those pockets of pain, those pockets of unhealth in our life that have the potential foundationally to keep us from rising to a new level in our influence. Yeah, that that's a good word. So that pain, like that can be like childhood stuff, that can be yeah. what, like unresolved loss? Uh, yeah. Where else does that, I mean, pain just honestly, accumulates I think with life. I, yeah, I think it's all of it. And and honestly, I think this is where leaders, so, so often we get so busy moving so fast toward the direction of our dreams that we fail to miss those moments in time that happen. It, it is the, the family that leaves the church. Mm. And you go, 
yeah, well, forget them and let's keep moving. Okay. Yeah. On one level, yes. On another level, something got planted in your heart. A, a seed of pain got planted in your heart. And, and only you and Jesus can know what that is and mm-hmm. if that's true. And so those are the things. So again, I, I do think it's childhood stuff. I do think it's past. I do think it's mistakes, regrets, it, things that are said and done to us. I think it's all of those things. But it's also the stuff that happens in real time, day in and day out. Yeah. As leaders, it's leadership is just a painful business. And, and <laughs> if we as leaders aren't being diligent to guard our heart, as Proverbs says, the wall will start to build up. And before you know it, you won't be dealing in reality anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know, I know, you know, I recommend counseling all the time, good Christian Amen. counseling, but that can, that can really tear things down. Okay. Take us to the last one. Yeah, sure. The, the fifth roadblock is pace. Uh, hmm. And this is the one that whenever I teach this content to leaders uh, and business leaders or church leaders alike, this is the one that there's a collective groan in the room. Yeah. And people like the first ones, you know, pride, fear, raw, those are thick and deep and raw. And then you get to pace and every leader goes, Oh, like I can't think of a time period where I ever taught this and the groan did not happen. Like Mm. everyone always groans because there is an unhealthy, unsustainable pace epidemic in leadership today where we are going, because here's what I've learned. I've learned that when my pace goes up, my teachability goes down. Mm. It's like driving in a rainstorm. So I listen to a lot of leadership podcasts like this, uh, you know, often, well, in Florida, it rains every afternoon through the summer. Like it's just, Three, three to five, it's going to rain. It's a rainy season. And so one day I had to go out and run some errands since I was listening to a podcast, you know, and I got in my car and it was pouring down rain. And I noticed something. The more focused I became on clutching the wheel, driving in the rainstorm, the more unfocused I became on what I was listening to. In other yeah. words, it's impossible to learn and grow when you're so focused, clutching the wheel, driving the thing forward. Mm-hmm. And I think so many leaders get so focused on go, 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 the next hill, the next mountain, the next goal, the next event, the next thing, the next Sunday, that when pace goes up, our, our teachability always goes down. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you're not even breathing, you're not really processing, and there's no, there's no deep learning Right. That can happen when you're running at a really fast right. pace. That's one of the reasons I love to write books Ooh. is, you know, I'm fairly new at it, but, you know, there's long form thinking. Sometimes, you know, an idea actually needs 10,000 words to unpack it properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of journaling. I know hmm. some people are like, oh, I don't journal. Well, okay, call it whatever you want. I, I, because of what you just said, Carrie, I think we've got to slow down. And we've yeah. got to create a space in our, our, call it quiet time, call it journaling, call it meditation, whatever. Uh, we've got to create space where we can process what's happening in our life and in our heart, in our spirit, in real time. Otherwise, the pace of our culture and our world just will, it'll just, it'll eat us alive. Yeah. So that's good. So those are five things that keep us from being teachable. Yeah. When you look at teachable leaders that you've met, what are some of the characteristics or the qualities that you go, ah, that's teachability? Yeah, well, in, in researching for the book, I started to look at uh, leaders throughout history and mm. obviously biblical leaders, but I also looked at world leaders and said, that, who are the, some of the people that you and I would look on and go, man, that's one of the most successful and also one of the most teachable people yeah. in the, on the planet. And what I discovered is there are about five characteristics that, that highly teachable people all possess in common. And so for us as leaders, if we're going to increase our level of teachability in over the next you know year or whatever, then we've got to pay attention to what the most teachable people in the world are. And, Hmm. you know, uh, the first thing is they have an insatiable desire to learn. 
Yeah. Plain and simple, um, teachable. The most teachable people you know are hungry to learn. And by virtue of the fact that you, listener, are listening to this podcast right now, I can almost guarantee that's in you. Something's in you yeah. unless someone forced you and said, hey, you got to listen to this. And then Which, you're not really listening and you miss this anyway. Exactly. <laughs> They're not teachable. So, and take a hint. But because by virtue of the fact that we're listening, we want to learn. And so, so teachable people have an insatiable desire to learn. Secondly, uh, te- highly teachable people know how to handle success successfully. And we talked about this a few minutes ago that, man, success is a catch-22 to our teachability. Now, the other side of that is true as well, which is failure. Highly teachable people know how to handle failure when it comes in their life as well. So how do they handle that? How do you handle success when you're highly teachable? And how do you handle failure when you're highly teachable? Well, I think from a success level, one of the biggest keys is um, understanding that none of us are successful alone. I think that's a big deal is recognizing because I think uh, so often the world would want to tell us, man, you're successful, man, it's all you and check out how great you are and the trophy belongs to you and it's your name on it. And it's like nobody arrives at the top by themselves. And so being willing to share the credit, I think, helps us uh, in recognizing that success is only ever temporary. There's a reason why the news is called the news, N-E-W-S, because it's (laughs) what's new. And no matter how great and amazing and wonderful you are, um, eventually we're all going to be back page news, which is not news at all. Uh, And our success is only temporary. And so I I think being able, you know, those, that's a few of the keys there from a failure side of things. um, uh, One of the biggest things that I've noticed is highly teachable people don't let their failure define them. Hmm. That's a good word. People um, who get stuck and lose their teachability let a failure moment or a failure season or, you know, some whatever that happened, they, they suddenly go, you know what, then I guess I'm, I'm not as good as I thought. I guess yeah. I'm never going to be good. And they let that define them. Yeah. It becomes so personal, right? You need to take failure seriously, but not necessarily personally. And, right. you know, it, it goes to the heart, which, which I can see. And I totally relate to, you know, success. It, it can create a real fear, can't it? And I think the greatest enemy of your future success is your current success. Absolutely. The more successful you are, the more conservative you become. I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to blow this, which is good, but it can get, yes. you know, it can kill innovation. Right. So that's helpful. Okay, walk us through the other characteristics of highly yeah, teachable sure. people. The, the other two, uh, one is an openness to feedback, yeah. uh, which, which is a really big deal. Um, again, but here's the, here's the caveat of feedback. The people who can most help you in your life, give you feedback, have the least to gain from giving it. Oh, that's good. Say more on that. So your wife, your team, the people who work for you, they have, you have the most to gain from their feedback. They have the most to lose from your feed, their feedback. So in other words, if your employees tell you something about your leadership, they could lose their job. They could fall out yeah. of favor with the boss. If your spouse tells you the truth, feedback wise, it could be a messy house for a day could or two, be a messy house for a while. <laughs> right? So, so that's the caveat of feedback. And so here's, here's the whole point. Then we, if we're going to be as teachable as we can possibly be, then we have to make it easy for people to give us feedback. Or else that's good. Give it once. No, that that's very true because if it's just your fan club, you can always find someone to go. Oh, Matt, you're the best ever. But that's not really meaningful. And often it's the people who know you the least well who will give you that kind of feedback. When in reality, your spouse, your kids. That's so true. how do you how do you cultivate a safe environment? Because we've all 
been in that situation where we have to lead up and, you know, your your throat is in your mouth um, when you walk into the office and you're like, I could get fired. This could kill the friendship. This could kill the relationship. But I got to give this feedback. So how do you as a leader who needs that feedback cultivate the kind of environment where people feel safe? Well, I think there are a number of things to that, but let me give one that I think, Carrie, is most important uh, than, than any of all of the others. And it's very simply this, keep asking for it. Mm, yep. The further we go in leadership and the more successful we become, the more powerful we are, the higher we climb, the more unlikely the people around us, even those who love us and are closest yeah. to us, the, the harder it becomes for them to give us feedback because of who we are and the bigness of our blah, blah, blah. Or success or whatever. That's it. And yeah. so honestly, keep asking for it. Pastors, when you walk off the stage this weekend, who are your two or three people that you can say to them, give me, and maybe it's not till Monday morning or Wednesday morning, <laughs> doesn't matter, but watch, and say to them, hey, you heard my message this weekend. Give me two or three things that mm. you think I could tweak to, to make my communication style better. Yeah, They have them. They know what they are. They can help you. Yeah, but it, it, you gotta it, ask. And you need you need to be the one to ask because nobody feels permission. I know there are days where I'll just say to my assistant, you know, hey, thanks for putting up with me today. And yeah. that's kind of a way of giving like I know I was stressed out about something or whatever. And, you know, it's cultivated a very open dialogue or, yeah. you know, I'll be in a meeting and you're always oblivious to your performance in a meeting. Mm -hmm. But I'll say to, you know, my colleagues around me, hey, um, did I say too much in that meeting? Did I not say enough? Was I overbearing? Did I shut down debate? Is it that kind of thing that really cultivates um, feedback? That's it. Is it mm -hmm. right? And, and that is all on us. Yeah. As leader. Oh, yeah. So if you're the leader yeah. of the team, if you're the leader of the organization, whatever, that's all on you. Like I, we leaders have got to take the ownership of, you said the word, and I love this, of giving our team permission. And here's what happens. As we do that over an extended period of time, we start to create a culture in our organization where feedback is not just permissible, it's actually expected and wanted. So what I've discovered is the more I ask for feedback, the more I create a culture among my team and my church of people who are constantly going, hey, tell me how to get better. Tell me how to get better up and down and sideways across the organization. Okay, that's really good. So feedback, there's one more, right? There is a flexible approach to life, being flexible. Mm. Uh, the most, the high, most highly teachable people in the world are flexible. And so even when things don't go our way, even when a promotion isn't a promotion, it's a lateral yeah. move or a demotion, um, we've got to teach highly teachable people embrace flexibility and recognize the long game here, not just the immediacy of the short game. Hmm. That's good to know. And so do you find that with success or, with, well, I would think with age, I mean, we use expressions. I don't know if you have this in Florida. We do in Canada, but, you know, older people get set in their ways, right? There's mm -hmm. only a certain way to do things. Yep. I think that's probably inevitable with age. I know at my stage of life, I know what I like and I know what I don't like. Probably a lot right. more than I did 20 years ago. Right. It's not always good. That's not always good. And right. then, and then, so, you know, I think the same is true of organizations. You need to remain flexible and agile. So is, is it just that that is that like an inevitable creep as you get bigger, older and more successful, you just become less flexible? I think it is. And, and you and I could look across the church world <laughs> yeah. and see churches and entire denominations who have who have yeah. lost relevance 
And this is not an indictment as much as it is an examination for us to say, and why is that? Because they became inflexible and they put the model ahead of the message and they lost their flexibility and they lost eventually their relevance to the culture. Okay, that's a great picture because I think on the individual level, you kind of wonder, okay, how does that work? But we can all point to organizations, corporate yeah. or church, whole denominations that are like, oh yeah, it's your inflexibility. And that feeds into some things we were talking about, like we don't do it this way, close to change, right. uh, not eager to grow, not eager to learn. Yep, That's really good. So, so we've got to be flexible. So highly teachable people are flexible people. Okay. So we're coming into the home stretch here, Matt. Sure. Tell us, what are a couple of practical steps? Somebody, you've, you've rung some bells here and there's a few leaders who are like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know, yes. uh, the alarm bells are going off and you write an awful lot about it in your book. But if they're sure. like, okay, you know, by tomorrow, yeah. what can I do? What's a good place to start? Because I can't fix the whole thing overnight. Yeah. But like if it, there was just one or two or three things I could do to become more teachable, where would you start? Well, uh, let me point to perhaps the my favorite chapter in the whole book, which is chapter 12, which is on the art of learning how to ask the uh, great questions that uh, about 10 years ago, I realized the book of Proverbs says that the heart of a man is a deep well. Wise is the person who knows how to mine it out. And mm. the way we mine out the wisdom in others is through great questions. And so I yeah. have been on a 10-year quest to, to learn the art of asking great questions because, and again, you and Josh talked about this in episode 61, I think, uh, on that insecure leader deal. Like, leaders do not know how to ask good questions. And so, so chapter true. 12 is the best. And so if I can say, where do you start? Learn how to ask great questions because questions unlock the wisdom that is hidden inside of the heart of everyone you come in contact with. That's been a journey for me too, because honestly, Matt, like, you know, you're just used to being the answer person. Uh, and, 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 you know, I've, I've learned how to ask questions. And it's yeah. tough because, you know, especially if you're a leader type and a type, you know, I happen to have an opinion on everything. Uh, not always a good opinion, but I happen yeah, right. to have an opinion. And so um, I have to learn how to ask better questions. And that's that's such a good word. Well, I appreciate that. Matt, this has been fantastic. Obviously, we talked a lot about the book. It's called The Key to Everything by Matt Keller. And if people want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the easiest way for them to do it? Yeah, the best place to do that, we not only have the book available, but uh, resources for churches. We love helping churches. And so there's all of the graphics, video bumpers, my message notes for people to do a key to everything series in their church if oh, they cool. want to. All of that is available for free. And if you just go to mattkelleronline.com, there's links awesome. to the Key to Everything book site and everything else. So mattkelleronline.com uh, is the place that kind of the one-stop shop for everything we do in terms of our coaching, our church, as well as the Key to Everything book. And every leader heard free. We are so grateful for that, Matt. Thank you so much for uh, blessing the church back. And that's Keller, K-E-L-L-E-R. We'll link to everything in the show notes, Matt. So that's sort of the gateway if they want to contact you or be in touch with you. And I just want to thank you so much for helping us. And uh, I'm going to learn to ask even better questions next time. Well, you do a great job. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much, Matt. Well, there you go. Teachability. It's the key to everything, isn't it? I, I think I think Matt's on to something there. And my guess is you're very teachable. Why? Because 
you're listening to this podcast. That's why. And you're the kind of leader who, like me, wants to grow and get stretched and get challenged. But what a, what a great, great thing to be able to share with your team, too, and, and, and a great character to look for when you hire people. Super excited. Next week, we've got Jarrett Stevens on as a guest, and I shared the whole lineup, or the parts of the lineup, actually. That's not the whole lineup. Uh, so uh, subscribe. Make sure you do that. And if you haven't visited RethinkLeadership.com yet, you do not want to miss this premier world-class conference in Atlanta, limited enrollment, would love to have you as a part of it. So go before it's too late to RethinkLeadership.com and join us in Atlanta, April 27th through 29th. It's going to be an exceptional gathering unlike any I think you've ever been at before. And that'll be happening in tandem with the Orange Conference. So you can send some of your team there and then you as a senior leader can come to Rethink Leadership. We are going to have a blast. I want to thank you so much for listening today. Uh, We're back next week, so just subscribe and we'll be in your inbox next Tuesday. Thanks so much. And I hope this has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.